You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. Service and everybody's welcome at this table. You don't have to be a member here or be baptized here. Um, if you're uh, a part of the body of Christ, a part of the family, uh, that this table has been set for you. So we would love it if you would uh, join us uh, to, uh, to celebrate communion at the end uh, of the message. So have the kids gone already? Did we send them already? If not, the kids can go. <clears throat> I know uh, Caleb uh, in his announcements uh, mentioned that uh, the um, East Texas Fest prayer uh, event is going to be this uh, Thursday, and it's going to be at the uh, Foundry, second floor of the uh, Bethel uh, downtown, um, the Foundry coffee shop. So it'd be great if all you guys could join us. When we had it here, we had the very first one here uh, a month ago, um, and it was just awesome. It's so incredible, some, some of what I'm going to be talking about this morning, uh, when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity, when people pray together. Uh, when um, you just really feel like that God is moving in a really powerful way when you see it in other people that you don't know very well or that you don't hang out with very much. Um, and there's just some awesome things going on in Tyler um, that uh, is a result of prayer. But as we always say, when you get what you pray for, it means you're going to be praying more, right? So it's like we pray for something and we get it, and that's going to lead to the need for more prayer. So... Uh, that's going to be 6.30, 6.30 to 7.30. They keep it to, to be an hour. We'll have a time of worship, uh, and then we'll have a time of uh, corporate prayer, uh, probably break off into some smaller groups and be able to pray for different things in, in our city. Uh, and also, um, the uh, East Texas Fest, the next big event that's coming up, beside the monthly prayer uh, event, is um, the first uh, Thursday, I think it is, in April. Um, and that's going to be a, a gathering. There's going to be a pastor's gathering that morning at 7.30, 7.30 to 9. Uh, and then there's going to be a community gathering um, at, uh, at Green Acres uh, with several different speakers, in, including one of the Palau um, sons, uh, Andrew, I think it is, uh, Palau is going to be speaking at that. So uh, just giving you a heads up, there's going to be some activities that we're going to um, get a real chance to uh, participate in. And uh, these gatherings are important, but the thing that the, the whole East Texas Fest is about is bringing people together to do some meaningful work in our community. We have a great city here, uh, and there are, some, there are some definite spiritual needs um, that are here. And this coming year is going to be a time of putting boots on the ground and uh, getting out there and doing it. And it's not just about a one-time crusade. Um, our hope, our, our dream, our intention is to begin ministry that will last for years um, after this. So you're going to be hearing more about that. And, uh, just, uh, but if, if you can, uh, come on uh, Thursday night. This is a, a standalone message this morning. Um, and uh, so appropriate that we sang that last, uh, that last song. So this is, um, I, I wanted to talk this morning about uh, this one verse, uh, one uh, passage from um, the Lord's Prayer, and so let's uh, pray this together, and then we'll come back and talk about this. So this is uh, from Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, 
It says, and I have chosen the King James here, um, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, So let's pray this together. After this manner, he says, therefore pray you, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I chose the King James because I like the these and thous um, there. A lot of people are, you know, they kind of think that that's... uh, uh, formal language, but it's actually intimate language. Did you know that? When you, when you refer to somebody as, as thee and thy and thou, um, it, is, it, is a, it is an intimate way to refer to somebody instead of it being like a formal way uh, to refer to somebody. Um, and, um, and I think sometimes it, it really helps us um, to just kind of look at things uh, from a personal standpoint. Jesus wants to be close to you. He wants, he doesn't want you just, and this is what this whole teaching on prayer is, um, is that he wanted you first to get in touch with the fact that prayer is something powerful that happens between the Father and you, and it's not about what other people see or what other people think or, or any of that stuff. It's not like a big public demonstration to draw attention to ourselves. It's actual communication, you know, and that's what Jesus is teaching us here. So what does it mean when we pray that, that, um, uh, that phrase, um, thy kingdom come? What does that mean to you? And how many times do we pray the Lord's Prayer? This is such a powerful, deep, and full prayer. And that one, each one of these um, statements, each one of these requests and, um, the, uh, that he's included in here uh, it opens up to a whole universe of possibilities and a whole universe of meaning. So what does it mean when you pray that? Thy kingdom come. Um, It means several different things that I want to talk about this morning. This is by no means exhaustive. I use this prayer as a uh, sort of a guide um, or a a template um, for prayer. So when I go to the Lord in prayer, a lot of times I'll start with that, with this calling him Father, putting him in the highest place. Um, doing the best in my life to make sure that his name is holy. Um, and and I, I use this as a sort of a guideline for prayer. I don't pray this prayer just by rote every time I pray. But this also is a good thing um, because the body of Christ, when we went to uh, Africa um, last year, um, I taught on the Lord's Prayer. And these are people who are not very, um, a, you know, like Christianized. They may have had some exposure to it, but when I began to pray the Lord's Prayer, they prayed right along with me. So they knew it. It's universal. It's the body of Christ praying that together. And the, so the body of Christ is praying, um, thy kingdom come. Here's, here's what it means uh, to me that I want to look at um, today. It means that we need something here that we don't have. When we say thy kingdom come, it means that we're expecting something to come. We're expecting something to change. Amen? So when we say thy kingdom come, the, by, by uh, an understanding, it means that the kingdom has not fully come. Jesus, when he was talking to the woman at the well, he says the days are coming and now are. So that's the, that's the way that the kingdom is. There's a present reality that the fullness of that has not come about. 
And so when we pray, your, thy kingdom come, we're saying that everything that we see right here, this is not the end of it. This may be the very beginning of it, but this is not the end of it. God has intentions for something that is beyond this. Here's another thing that it means to me. It means that I don't, when I say thy kingdom come, that means that it takes away the option for me to retreat or to, to try to extricate myself from this world. That's not what he wants. He doesn't want to just rapture us out of the world and you know, let you know, hell have its way. He wants the kingdom to come. He wants the kingdom to come here. He wants the kingdom to come in, in our lives, in our communities, in our relationships. He wants the kingdom to come to us. He doesn't want us retreating from where we are. Amen? I told myself I wasn't going to get worked up, so I'm... Do we see the kingdom of heaven as like an idealized uh, dream? When we talk about um, things like love and kindness and peace, don't those seem fragile? Doesn't our world think that those things are fragile? They have to be handled with care. Love, love can be so easily lost, so easily broken. You know, peace, peace is like you you just have to enjoy it while you got it because it's not going to last, right? And these are the things that the kingdom of God is made up of, and yet the world looks at it, and I hope we don't, as being fragile things, and they're not fragile things. We think that um, uh, hatred and cruelty and war, that that's power. That's what power looks like. And God says, no, that's not it. That's just because we're steeped in this. That's because we live in a, in a system that believes those things. But the kingdom of God is so different than that, and it's mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Love is so much more powerful than hate. Love is so much more of a motivator. It's, a, it's, a, it's something that, uh, it's a life that you don't get tired of living. It's love. It's joy. It's peace. And these things are not fragile. And these things are durable. And these are the things that God is conquering the earth with and conquering our hearts with. Jesus himself said, from the days of John the Baptist until the present, the kingdom of, of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. Have you ever heard that scripture? Do you know what he was talking about? He was talking about John the Baptist who was a man, not, not just a, a great man of God. He was the greatest of the prophets is what Jesus said about him. He said there's not a single person in the Old Testament greater than John the Baptist. And what happened to John the Baptist? Took his head off. That's what Jesus is talking about. Violent men think they can do what they want to do with the kingdom of God. But listen, I was taught a different way. I was discipled that that verse meant this, that the kingdom of heaven takes violence to press into. I was taught a violent form. It's not, not physically violent. Spiritually violent form of pressing into God of hungering and thirsting after things, of crying out to God and not being satisfied with the status quo in my own heart, in my own life first. I was taught that it was important to fast, that it was important to pray, that it was important sometimes to get on your face before God and pray and cry out to God and say, I'm not going to get up. I'm not going to get up until I'm done, until I, I have gotten what I've asked for. 
We persist in praying, thy kingdom come. We pray it so many times. What are we expecting? What are we thinking that it's going to be? There's three steps to this. And again, this is not an exhaustive list. Don't you hate it when a preacher says that? You're supposed to be giving us the list, right? I'm just giving you a list. This is not the list. But this is my list, and this is what, this is, this is what I have found to be the way that if I'm going to pray thy kingdom come, these are the things that I do as a result of that. We don't just pray with our mouth. That's called lip service. But we pray with our heart. And that's sincerity. And that's saying I'm not going to ask God for something, right, that I'm not willing to do myself. I'm asking Him to do something, but I know that I have a role to play. So don't even, don't even say it if you're not willing to do what your part of the, of the role is. And the first one is to pray. What is prayer? Prayer is it's conversation with God. It's communication with God. Okay? It is that, and it's so much more than that. Prayer is relationship. Prayer is spiritual interaction. Prayer is establishing things in the Spirit. Jesus said if you bind it on earth, it will be bound in heaven. And then another place he says, if it's been bound in heaven, then you bind it on earth. And that's what he's talking about. He's talking about prayer. He's not talking about literally tying things up. He's talking about using your your prayer, your words, your communication with God to call things into being, to ask for things, and and to establish things. Many times when Paul writes about what we believe, he uses legal terms. There is a a legal aspect to this. Just like the law of gravity, there is a law of sowing and reaping that God has, has, has set up. And this is the way that it works. And we're fools if we think we can just ignore that, just like if you thought you could jump off a you know, 20-story building and just because you didn't like the law of gravity that it wouldn't apply. No, it all applies. God likes it that way. He can suspend it at any time that He wants to, but He likes it a whole lot, so He doesn't suspend it very often. He likes it that we don't float around off the, off the earth, right? That it makes it easier to eat, certainly makes it easier to drink, Right? And just like that, there are laws, there are things that are bound in heaven that the earth hasn't come to grips with, or the earth is losing its grip on, and thinking that there aren't absolutes. And that maybe we should just all float around. Maybe we can just do anything we want to. Right? And prayer is where we establish these things. Prayer is where we establish the, the, um, the legality, the authority. It, it, it's, there's two different things that the kingdom of heaven refers to. It refers to a place, right? Does, is the kingdom of, of heaven a place? Is it? Not a trick question. It, is, it does refer to a place. Where is that place? Right? This morning, and it's here. Now, it's, I'm not saying that this is totally heaven. Obviously not. But heaven is here. The kingdom of God is here. Because the kingdom of God exists in us and through us. So it's not just a place that, you know, that's somewhere in outer space. We've sent people into outer space. There was a Russian uh, cosmonaut one time that came back. You know, obviously he's, he's a communist, he's, a, he's an atheist. Um, and uh, he, he, he came back from, um, uh, from, a, from a space shot and uh, he had walked in space. 
And uh, in his press conference, he said, yeah, and he said, uh, he said, I did. I got outside of the, the space capsule, and I walked around, and he said, I didn't see Jesus anywhere. And Ruth Bell Graham, have you heard this one? Ruth Bell Graham said, well, if he'd have taken his space suit off, he'd have seen him pretty quick. <laughs> it's not a place, Okay. It's a place, and it, it, and, it, and it is that, but it's not like some removed thing in outer space. It's right here. It's right here. And that's what God's dream has always been. Even when he had the tabernacle in the wilderness, that was only supposed to be a, a model, a symbol, a, a metaphor for him dwelling in our hearts. That's where the kingdom of God is. It is a place, but it is also authority. It is the place where he rules and reigns. I think David said something about that, about the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's not just his first name, Lord Jesus. That's his position. That means boss. That means authority. And if he doesn't have authority in your life, then you can't call him Lord Jesus. Because lordship means you're under his authority. means you do it his way. means you're accountable to him means you're answerable to Him. means that you're getting your orders and your directions from Him. That's what that means. And if you're not under that authority, if you have not willingly placed yourself under that authority, God knows it's a struggle. I know it's a struggle. I know it's not easy. Okay? But it is a decision that we make. And it's really important that we make it. And that we identify ourselves with that. And we do that in prayer. Prayer is like the paperwork. Prayer is like the, the legal paperwork, right? So if you get pulled over by the cops, they're going to ask you for what? Your paperwork. The right, that gives you the right to drive the car. If you don't have your paperwork, you're not going to be driving anymore, you know, until you get the paperwork straight. Prayer is the paperwork. Prayer is where you go in and you get the authority. You get the authorization from God to do it. Um, I've been reading uh, the um, Eric Metaxas's, um biography of, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and uh, I've just been once again just struck by um, the heroism of not just him, but the confessing church. Because when, uh, when Hitler, when the, when the Nazis began to take over, that was one of the very first things that they did. And I'm talking about 1933. This is when they are ascending. This is when they're being elected. Some people think that he took over. He used strong-arm tactics and everything, but he won most of those elections by a landslide because they loved him. They loved him. And the, one of the very first things that they had to do is take issue with the real church because they wanted the church to be under the authority of the Fuhrer. And it started kind of subtly, but there were men like Bonhoeffer. Listen to me. I'm talking about Germany now. I'm not, when we think Germany and we think Nazis, Nazis were the Johnny-come-latelys, and they were not Germany. Germany had the best theologians. Germany was the place where, uh, where Luther, Luther um, lived and where he was, he was so um, idolized. And he's, he's not perfect. He's not a perfect man. But that was a stronghold of God at one time. Germany was. And one of the first things that they had to do, these Johnny-come-latelys, these pretenders to the throne, these uh, deceivers, had to, they, they had to take issue with the real church. And Bonhoeffer immediately started feeling the pressure. And he went to England, and he came back, because he could not stay in England. He had to be with his people. And he came to America, and he could have escaped. 
He was wanted. He was a wanted man, and he knew that going back meant his death. But he said, I have to be with my people. I have to be. If you've never read The Cost of Discipleship, I highly recommend it to you. And it's not really difficult. It's, it's hard to embrace because it's so true and it's so deep. And we need that, man. We need to read books like that. Just like every generation of the church ever has, don't you get lulled to sleep and think everything's different now. The, the darkness increases when good men do nothing. One of the reasons that the Nazi government was so effective and deadly is that they were so good at the paperwork. That's how they could keep up with so many people. That's how they could, that's how they could take somebody from their home to the, to the, um, uh, uh, to the gas chamber is because of the paperwork. Make no mistake about it. The paperwork is important. The legal aspect of what we're doing is important. We are not pretenders to the throne. We are not making this stuff up. Prayer is powerful because it puts us in touch with God and, it, and the transfer of authority to us comes directly from the throne of God. And you get your marching orders from there. Heard uh, Lewis was talking about an, uh, uh, just, I, and I, I don't even know the whole story about a guy that he was praying for in, uh, in Africa just this past um, trip, and he was he was de- the guy was demon possessed. But Lewis was just like, I want this, I want to see this, I want to see healing, I want to see demons cast out, I want to see the spiritual things happen that we read about. I don't want to just read about it, but I want to experience that. And he said, as he's praying for him, he's got his hand on the guy's chest, and the guy's flailing at him the whole time. And Lewis was just like, I wasn't scared. I didn't. I wasn't scared a bit. I knew that I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. I wanted to see God move. Huh? He could, physically couldn't touch. He was flailing at him to try to hit him, and he, could, he physically could not touch him. And Lewis said, he's, he's not afraid. Listen, guys. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent people take it by force. That doesn't mean that we're everybody's pansy, and we're everybody's patsy, and we're everybody's whipping boy. That means that the kingdom of heaven will prevail, and if you want it, you press into it. And if you want it, you know that you're going to suffer. You know that it's going to be tough, but you know that you will prevail. So the first step is prayer. Thy kingdom come is a cry of treason. It's a, tr- it's a, it's a cry of... Um, uh, of uh, um, of associating with. It's a cry of fidelity. Thy kingdom come. It's saying, I identify myself with it. Again, in, uh, in occupied uh, places, when the, the Nazis came in and took over, there was always an underground. But you know what they do with people that they catch like that? They kill them. They torture them and they kill them. That's what they do. And that's exactly what, you make yourself a target. So you can't be half in and half out. You can't dabble in it. Okay, no half measures. Are you guys with me this morning? When you say thy kingdom come, there's no half measures. You are identifying with a hostile kingdom, and, you, and that, is a, that is a declaration of treason here on earth because the authority that is in power right now on the earth is hostile to God, and God is hostile to it. And there is no middle ground. I, there, it was a friend of mine one time when he was a new believer, and he was like, you know, I feel like the God, the Jesus and the devil are pulling, like Jesus is pulling me this way and the devil is pulling me this way. And he said, I just want to say, I don't want to go with either one of you guys. I just want to do what I want to do. 
I just want you to know, man, that is not an option. If you say no to Jesus, you're saying yes to the devil. If you say yes to Jesus, you're saying no to the devil. There's no half measures. There's no, there's no neutral ground. And let me, let me also say this about prayer. So if you could describe the kingdom of God in a word, what would that word be? It's a, it's a Hebrew word. Starts with S-H. Shalom. Shalom. So shalom is a greeting, and it's a way to say, you know, um, peace be to you. Um, but it is so much more. Our word peace doesn't even come close to the depth and weight of the word shalom. Shalom means completeness. It doesn't mean the lack of uh, conflict. Okay? In the Middle East, when they have peace, you know what that is? That's just when they're reloading. That's all that is. That's not peace. Okay? And a lot of people's relationships are like that. You have peace for a while, and what is it? All it is is just a, a, a kind of a, a truce, a temporary cessation of hostilities. And that's not shalom. Shalom is fullness. It's completeness. It's you being complete and everything that God wants you to be. And the way that that is expressed is first in prayer. Have you ever had that experience where you come to the Lord and you just like bear your heart to Him and you give it all to Him and then you have that feeling? Do you have that? You ever had that feeling? People describe it as being a huge weight that was lifted off of me. That weight is the weight of guilt. That weight is the weight of sin. That we walk around burdened under it so much and God wants us to experience shalom, which is peace, which is freedom. From that, He doesn't want us under that yoke of bondage. He doesn't want us under that, uh, uh, in that jail, in that prison of our own making. He wants to set us free. He wants us out. So prayer is where we come, in, come to grips with shalom. This is where we first experience shalom. And it's also where we're going to get the sending aspect of it. Because we don't stay in the prayer closet. We pray and then we do stuff, and then we pray some more, and then we do stuff, and then sometimes we're doing and praying at the same time, right? So it's, 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 that's not in itself, it's not enough, right? But that is essential, that's an essential part of the doing. The second step is personal investment. And this is a different crown, isn't it? This is the only crown that Jesus wore, one like this. This is not an actual picture of the crown. But this is the only type of crown that he wore while he was here. And who, get, who crowned him with it? We did. That was our response. That was our response. And why did we do that? Because we wanted him to suffer. We wanted to humiliate him. We wanted to give him the opposite. And when I say we, listen guys, I'm talking about the human race. Make no mistake about it, it wasn't just the Jewish authorities that did this. This is what humanity said to that king. You want to be a king? I'll show you a king. And we crowned him with this. We added insult to injury. We caused him to suffer. We tried to humiliate him. The king of kings and lord of lords, which is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. And there is continual praise going up before him from beings that would 
floor us if we ever even saw them. And I'm talking about angels that are continually seeing him and giving him what he deserves. And he came here and what did we give him? This is a personal investment. This is a picture of sacrifice. Because he gave up his crown to take on this crown. It was meant to mock him. It was, it was meant to insult him. And if we take this lightly, if we don't take this personally, if I fail to grasp the enormity of it, then I'm just going to be going through lip service when I say thy kingdom come. If the enormity of this, and not just this, but this, and not, not just that, but all of the ways that he suffered when he was here, all of the ways that he was resisted, all of the ways that he was lied about, all of the ways that he came to do nothing but good and good things and the way that he was treated. If the enormity of that does not incite something within me, then praying thy kingdom come is just lip service. It's just empty words. Are you following me? Because when we say thy kingdom come, that means that the kingdom is not here yet. Completely. It has come. Make no mistake about it. This is a done deal, but it's not done yet. It's going to happen. The liberation is going to come. Not just for us, but for the whole world. The liberation is going to come. The king, the rightful king, is going to return. This is a clear picture of the brokenness, the twisted logic, the darkness, and the deception of this world. That we would put that on his head. The king. Thy kingdom come. That is such a clear picture of how broken this world, how twisted this world, how deceived this world is. How dark this world is. And how dark humanity is. And how far we have fallen. And how Desperately we need what he came to give. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Man, read this, please. I mean, not just this, but go to this spot in the book of Colossians, and Paul just gushes forth with this revelation of Jesus Christ that is so I, I, you, when you preach, you can't do the whole thing. I just have one spot here, but I could not extricate myself when I got into this. It was like quicksand, man. I, I was going down for the last time. Like, how can I even pick one part of this? Because it's a description of Jesus Christ, and it's a description of us as well. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. Uh, in the book of John, when it's talking about He came into His own, but His own did not know Him. That when it, when it says He came into His own, it meant He came to, pe to, to people that He had made. That's why it said he, it's His own. He created them. He came to them. He created them. He made them. And then He came to them. 
He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. In everything He might be preeminent. So He's not just a great teacher, and He's not just a great example. He is a picture of the church, and the church is a picture of Him. And so when you see Jesus doing it, know that He intends for the church to do it. And when you see the church doing it, really doing it, know that that's Jesus' intention and will, thy will be done, being carried out in the, in the world today, as if He was here. He said, greater things are you going to do than I did. How is that? Because it's multiplied thousands and thousands and millions of times over. One man, even God Himself as a man, is still limited to one place and one time. But a million believers, a million brothers and sisters of this firstborn spread out across the earth is not limited by space or time. It's Jesus out, out of the box. That's what happened when the veil split. Out of the box, man. It's like having a a tiger cage in your house and you come home and the tiger cage is empty. It's like, that's not good. That's not good. That in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. That crown of thorns, those nails that were nailed into his hands, was God's way of bringing us to shalom, to completeness, to fullness, to reconciliation. God's purpose in the earth today is reconciliation. God's purpose in the earth today is what? Reconciliation. And you can look, if you want to know how good the kingdom of God, how effective that prayer is in your own heart, How good are you at reconciliation? I mean, that's that's like the ABCs of being a believer. How good are you at reconciliation? How good are we at reconciliation? How how effective are we um, as a force in our community for reconciliation? Or how good are we at division? How good are we at pointing the finger? How, how good are we at laying the blame and holding the line and, and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and alienating people? Because that's not what Jesus did. Granted, what He said raised some hackles, but He was always pointing it in the direction of shalom. He was always pointing it in the direction of health and peace and re- reconciling people and reconciling God to people. That's what He came for. And that's what the cross is for. And Colossians is telling us that it was effective. He he actually accomplished what he came to do. And when John the Baptist, and Jesus also, when he began his ministry, do you remember what John the Baptist's message was? It was really simple. Repent for is, is coming. It's right here. Here it comes. Look out. That's what those words mean. There was an urgency to it. And what, did he, what was the first word that he said? Repent. Our response, if you say, thy kingdom come, our response is repentance. 
That's the first step. That's the first thing. If we want to bring shalom to the world, we have to have shalom in our hearts first. We have to be reconciled to God first. And listen, John the Baptist didn't say, repent so that the kingdom of God could come. No, it's coming. Repent so that you're ready for it. So that when it comes, it's not going to crush you. You're not going to be on the wrong side. You're going to be on the right side. Repent puts us in shalom so that we can become ministers of shalom. And then the third step is love. So the first step was prayer. Second step is uh, personal um, investment, sacrifice, uh, repentance. And then the third step is love. And that's where God is going with this. He wants us to be better lovers. We're just not good at it. We're just not good at it. For one thing, our definition of love is what it means to me, how it makes me feel. That's not love, man. If that was love, this would not make sense. That's what his intention is, is to make us lovers really good at loving. Really good at genuinely loving people. Because love transforms. Love opens the door. Love brings the best out in people. And that's what he wants. There's nothing more beautiful than a person who's truly in love. Have you ever seen somebody like that? And I know that sometimes it's, it's, a, it's not good. Have you ever seen somebody and you just, you just look at them and they just glow? You know? When I used to lead worship, my favorite part of leading worship is watching you guys worship. Because no, a person is never more beautiful than when they're extending themselves to God in worship. You just get this look on your face. It's just so beautiful. It's what you were made for. It's the most beautiful. That's how you ought to have your Facebook picture taken, okay? You want to put a picture on Facebook and choose the exact right one that doesn't really look like you, right? This, was, this is the best you. It's the best you because you're loving him. That's what you were made to do, and he's loving you, and you're feeling it, and you're experiencing it, and it's washing you. 1 John chapter 3, 16 and 17. Another good Bible study suggestion for you is read all the three 16s. Because I've done that before and it's really amazing. The scriptures that, okay, it's because all scripture is awesome, right? You just hadn't seen it yet. All scripture is awesome. But if you go expecting and you look at it, I'm just going to do the three 16s for a week or something like that. You'll be amazed at some of the verses and this is one of them. It says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And then he goes on. I love the way he steps on your toes, you know. Because just in case you're getting a warm, fuzzy feeling about he laid down his life and we ought to lay down our life for other people, he gets personal about it. He says, if you have the world's goods and you see your brother in need and yet close your heart against him, how does that, how does that reconcile with the love of God? That don't look like the love of God to me. That looks like just plain old-fashioned selfishness and self-centeredness and arrogance and pride. 
and possessiveness. That doesn't look like the love of God. That doesn't look like shalom. I put the... Uh, I put the, this uh, kind of um, close-up of our logo up there because if you haven't been here for a while, you prob probably don't know that that logo is actually a T, C, a T and a C and an F, and it's also a cross and a heart. That's us. That's who we are. And believe me, it was really hard to make those letters fit together to anything. And then when I found this, I was just like, that's God, <laughs> you know. And I know it, there's different ways of, of seeing it, but it's love that is a sacrificial love. And there's the T, and then the C is the one on that side, and then the F is like a Fender F, you know, like a Fender guitar where it's, it's kind of pointed backwards like that and cross. Can you see it? That's us, man. That's who we are. Last week we had a connect, and listening to people talk about um, what they've experienced since they've come into TCF, so much, so much uh, resonates with the way that I felt when I first came. And it's not because we sit down and we have like a plan and, you know, and, and, and a purpose and, and all of that. It's because God has an idea of who we are and he keeps doing it. He keeps doing it. And we have new members and we have old members and we have people move away and sometimes people die and, and sometimes people just leave and and yet God still does what he does here because it's like that's his, we're his favorite, you guys. We are his favorite. Maybe everybody is, I don't know, but I know that we are. We're the disciple whom Jesus loved. And when, like, when I used to read that, when John described himself that way, it's like, what, what is, this guy's got a lot of gall. Like, he's the disciple that Jesus loved? No wonder they're always fighting about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. But look, Jesus wants every disciple to feel like that they are the disciple that Jesus loves. And he wants every body of Christ, every expression of his body, to say, man, we're his favorite. He just loves us so much. He does these incredible things. All the time. All the time. What is love? It's shalom. It's what it is. And I experienced shalom when I came here. I experienced shalom for the first time. I got peace when I got my heart right with God, and I never have lost it. Never. I've been through ups and downs. I've been through hell. I've been through the valley of the shadow of death. And, and, and he's been with me. I have never, I, I never had peace before. I tried everything I could to get it. And when I came to Jesus Christ, I got it, and I've never lost it. It's, it's, the, it's the coin of the realm. It's the thing that he pours out over and over and over and over again in my life. It's just a settled fact. I experienced that. I also experienced Shalom this past week. And I've told you about this group that I meet with, a group of pastors called Walls to Bridges, and it is a group of um, African-American pastors and Anglo pastors and um, Hispanic pastors, and we meet together and we just talk about racial issues. We just talk about how do you see this and how do you see this, and we watched a little video and then we broke up into four um, guys and we just started talking about what does it look like in the body of Christ. And one of the things that we were talking about um, was a multicultural church. 
Now, we have a multicultural church, but we are way predominantly Anglo, okay? And I would love to see that change because we're missing out, guys. We're missing out, right? I wish I could, I wish I could transplant some of my brothers and sisters from Africa here, and they would turn this place upside down. You think maybe this morning was a little bit weird and like, I don't know what's going on. Get some Africans in here, man, you know? You're right? Get some. Yeah, we got some. We need more. Get some Hispanics in here, man. Get some, get some Italians in here. We don't have enough Cajuns. We, we, we need it all, man. We, God's, God's body needs to be a, 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 in order to be a perfect reflection of Jesus Christ. It's got to include languages. It's got to include cultures and all of this thing. Because you can make a multi multicolored church and still not be multicultural that's one of the things that we talked about this blows my mind you know it's like it's not just about being a, a you know a different color it's like what is the culture of the church and it's and it's contributed to by all of us by all of our experiences by all of our values listen by all of our food right by all of our music you know he likes a lot of different kinds of music. He doesn't just like the one, you know, overproduced. Don't get me started. So I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not trying to insult anybody. But he wants honest music is what he wants. And he loves it in a lot of different languages. That's love. That is shalom. That's what he's after. What happens when we stop retreating? What happens when we stop isolating? Stop surrounding ourselves with people that are just like us. Stop wrapping our righteous robes around us and turning away from the evil that's being heaped upon those that are around us. What does it look like for God's kingdom to come to you? What does it look like? Well, we're going to come. We're going to come. And I just, before we even get to the table, I don't even know. Is there a lighter on the table? Oh. You can now you can see how nervous I am. Not bad. Lord light our hearts. Lord let us be lights for your kingdom. We're going to pause for a minute. And I'm just going to give you an opportunity to just do exactly what I'm talking about in prayer. Just get honest with God. Just have a little conversation with Him. You can use the Lord's Prayer as a model if you want. You can pray the Lord's Prayer as long as you really are praying something that you really believe and that you really mean. And just get your heart right with God. Because if you've come in burdened, He wants to relieve that burden. If you've come in sad or, or angry or afraid, He wants to minister to all that. He doesn't want you to leave the same way and you can listen to a good sermon and you can still leave unchanged but if you decide to change if you decide to let that tension where's the tension in your life you decide to let that go you're going to experience he's always waiting for that he's looking for that so let's just pause for a minute and let him search our hearts search us and try us Lord If there's anything between you and God, anything, you name it, 
you call it. You say about it what he says about it. Don't put a nice name on it. Don't justify it. Tell him what it is. Is it a failure? Is it a hang-up? Is it a hurt? Is it a bad habit? Is it something that has gotten you trapped? Maybe you started it out of freedom and now you can't quit? Is it a relationship that you have failed in? Have you turned a deaf ear to Him when He has called to you? Name it. Just name it. There is nothing you have done. Listen to me. There is nothing you have done that this cross is not sufficient to forgive and not just forgive, but to cleanse. To cleanse us from here. Oh God, set your people free. We want to experience this freedom, Lord, so we can talk about it with authority. Because we've got loved ones, Lord, that are in such need of Jesus Christ. Such need. Oh God, let us experience it honestly before you first. Thank you, Lord. Now one more thing before we go to the table to to receive the elements. Jesus said, if you come to bring your offering, do you remember that somebody has, one place he says somebody has something against you, and another place he says if you have something against somebody. So we always play that game. Well, they need to come to me. No, if you have something that is between you that is unresolved, you take the initiative. You forgive right now before God. You, you put this, this whole thing before God and you do what he tells you to do. And it very well could mean that you're going to have a conversation with that person. Maybe not, but probably so. For shalom to return. If you're married, you know how this works. You can be so angry with that person. You can be so at odds with that person. You can say some things that you wish you'd never said to that person. And oh, when the love returns, that shalom, when it returns to that relationship, oh, how warm and loving and and intimate you feel. It's almost like that brokenness brings an openness to intimacy that you didn't have before. God wants that shalom in all of our relationships. Thank you, Lord. And I wanted to ask you to pray for one more thing as we come. Let's stand together. As we come to the table this morning... This is Christ's body. This is his body that's broken. And Paul said um, that we, uh, though we are many, we are one in Christ. Will you pray with me for unity in the churches at Tyler? Will we just, can we just extend ourselves and do some business, do some paperwork with God about the, about the churches in Tyler and the unity of the churches in Tyler? I don't, I'm not a visionary. I don't know how it's going to work. I know that he wants it. I know that he wants brothers and sisters to join hands across cultural lines, denominational lines. He wants the body of Christ to experience unity, not just in the house, but in the city as well. And I'll tell you what, man, if you want to know something that's going to transform this city, them seeing us getting along is going to be like the biggest miracle they've ever seen. 
can we just pause and pray? God, we are one body. We are one body in Christ. Thank you, Lord. Will you pray, Rodney? Will you pray for the church's unity? Yes, 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 Lord. Can I have the uh, elders and their wives join me? Dave is going to lead us in a course. We come from the sides, and uh, when you have received uh, the elements, you're free to, uh, to go. Sometimes people like to share with their families, just have a quiet time together. You're certainly welcome to do that. Um, but you come, and, uh, and God bless you. How great the chasm that lay between us how high the mountain i could not climb in desperation i turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night then
It's not my life. 